Anytime I wanted to learn how to do something, um, it's always beneficial to look to the experts, right? It's always beneficial to look to people that do a certain craft or a certain thing well, um, and it helps us by watching them to get better at what we're trying to learn. For example, um, as a kid, I remember watching a lot of baseball. It's no secret, I used to love to play, I used to love to play baseball, um, but I remember as a kid watching a lot of baseball and trying to figure out what is it that made Ken Griffey Jr. as powerful as he was, right? What, what in his swing, what in the mechanics of his swing really got him, like, like, like that he had figured out? What kind of things had he had grown so accustomed to and what had he had done that makes his swing so perfect, so good, so crisp, so easy? So like I, I remember as a kid sitting down and my coaches like, putting on TV, and we would sit there and we would like analyze the swing. Like, what is he doing first and second? What is his hips doing? Like the whole nine yards, right? This happens now a lot of times. I know um, when we have a certain hobby or a certain thing we're trying to get better at, we may watch YouTube tutorials because you can basically learn how to do anything from rebuilding a car engine to like baking a cake on YouTube. And what is it? You're watching somebody who seems to do it well, how do they do it? What do they do? And how can I perfect my craft? To give you a little bit of a, uh, to give you a little bit of a, of a, like a peek behind the curtain, if you will. Um, I, I now in my uh, right now more than I ever have. I listen to more homilies and people giving speeches than I ever have at any point in my life, because I know I want to hear how is it that people can take an image and relate it to God, right? How is it that they can keep an atten the attention of a congregation or an audience? And what is it that is the, like, what is it something that I could maybe pick up to kind of help to perfect a craft? Um, one, of my, one of my favorite people to listen to, or one of my favorite groups of people to listen to with this, is uh, it's actually comedians. Because um, comedians, what do they do? They stand on stage, them with a microphone, and they talk to people for two hours. And they just learn how to tell stories, how to keep people engaged a certain way by dropping the right kind of details they need to until they get to the punchline and the point, and there's the payoff of the laughter. It's a, it's a way for us as preachers, it's a way for me as a priest, to learn the rhetorical devices to help with better preaching, right? Better public speaking. Well, in the same way, not only if it's a sport or a craft or, or some, kind of, um, some kind of thing like, ba like baseball to, to comedy, wh whatever it is, the same way that we can look to the experts in all these other phases of life, we can also look to the experts when it comes to our faith. And today, that's what we are doing. Today, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to ask that you, 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 you trust me, because we're going to talk about some Old Testament stuff, we're going to talk about our Blessed Mother, and then we're going to talk about how that applies to us today. Because when we look at Mary, the, the common misconception with Catholics is that we worship Mary. We don't. Mary is the best example that we have of being a Christian. She is absolutely 100% the best example of what it means to be a Christian. She lived the Christian life better than anyone else ever as a follower of Jesus, her son. 
Now, when we break open today's gospel, when we break open to the readings for this weekend, both the readings that we have this morning and the readings that we had last night, because they were a little bit different, there's one image that, that I think we can rely on in today's readings more than the others. And that is, they call Mary the Ark of the New Covenant. Well, if there's an Ark of the New Covenant, the Blessed Mother, then there must be an Ark of the Old Covenant. And we hear about that throughout the Old Testament. Now, the Ark of the Old Covenant, if you're wondering, uh, yes, it is the same one that Indiana Jones fought some Nazis over uh, in Raiders of the Lost Ark. Um, I don't think that was true. I don't think that was a, a, a biographical thing. But the Ark of the Old Covenant is, it was considered in the Old Testament, it was the presence of God on earth. You want to know what it was? It was a gold box. It was a gold box that was carried with the Israelite people as they walked through the desert and as they found themselves coming into the promised land of Jerusalem. And what was in the box? Well, there were three things that were inside of this ark. The first thing is there was the staff of Aaron. Aaron was the, was the successor to Moses in leading the Israelite people. Aaron's staff was a symbol of authority. It was a symbol of, um, of, of priesthood. It was a symbol of leadership. So that was in the Ark of the New Covenant. Oh, in the Ark of the Old Covenant. The second thing that was in the Ark was the tablets that had the Ten Commandments on them. The same tablets that Moses got when he went up Mount Sinai. We hear about that in the Old Testament. That Moses spent 40 days before God. That the law, the Ten Commandments, was given to Moses. Those tablets were also in the Ark of the Old Covenant. And the final thing, the third thing that was in the Ark, was the manna. Now if, you've ever, if you remember correctly, as the Israelite people were walking through the, through the desert, as they were in exile for 40 years, looking for the promised land, God had a miracle that would happen six days a week where the people would go out and they would collect this, this wheat of sorts that would settle on the ground and look like frost every night. And it was considered heavenly bread. Bread from heaven that they ate that would continue there, that would allow them to continue on this journey. That God was giving them sustenance so that they can continue on the journey towards the promised land. These were the three things that were found in the Ark of the Old Covenant. The Old, the, the old Ark was then brought, it was led all throughout the course of the, of the, of the ancient Israelites as they were going through their exile, as they were coming into Jerusalem. And it, it would find a home, ultimately, in the temple. Now, God had, proved, God had provided this land that was a chosen land for His chosen people, and a temple was built. So bear with me. The ark would come into the... It was David that built the temple, and when the ark came into the city of Jerusalem, David, a king, was so excited they played music, because it was God's presence coming into this chosen land, into this chosen space that was consecrated to Him. And there was a fulfillment of the covenant that was taking place. 
There was music playing. There was a celebration happening. The king himself did something completely and utterly undignified and found himself dancing before the ark as it entered into the holy city. Now all of that seems like a lot. All of that is a quick, very, very brief history of the Ark of the Covenant. But I think we have to understand the Ark of the Old Covenant if we're ever going to understand the significance of Mary as the Ark of the New Covenant. What do we hear about today in our Gospel? That Mary, after receiving the message from the angel of the Annunciation, after being told that she would have the Son of God, after being told that she was going to be pregnant for Jesus, after, being, after conceiving Him in her womb, she goes to her sister Elizabeth. She goes to a, hill, a, a, a place in the hill country of Judah. That's where Jerusalem was. In the hill country of Judah. And as she gets close, Elizabeth, who's also pregnant, there is, as, as Mary approaches her, Elizabeth feels the infant in her womb leap for joy. As many, of the, as many of the church fathers would say, John the Baptist takes on the role of King David. As the Ark of the New Covenant approaches, as God's presence on earth approaches, John the Baptist in his mother's womb leaps for joy. He dances the same way King David did. There's a recognition of who Mary is and what she holds within her. And there's a correlation between the Old Covenant, the Ark of the Old Covenant, and her. Because what she holds in her is not a staff of Aaron. It's not a symbol of authority. It's not a symbol of the priesthood. In fact, what she holds is the perfect authority. She holds the one who, will, who, who is the judge for all nations, for all time. She holds within her womb the priesthood, the one who was the perfect priesthood, who offered a perfect, never-ending sacrifice by laying his own life down for the sake of another. She doesn't just hold in her, hold in her womb two stone tablets with commandments written on it. Instead, she she holds within herself the one who was all good. The one who elevated the life of the Christian being more than just a bunch of thou shalt nots. And instead, who would show exactly how we are called to love. How we are called to live. How we are called to be in the world even if it means sacrificing. Mary doesn't hold within her heart, within her womb, just some some flaky bread that was found in the desert. Mary holds within her womb the one who at the end of his life would say, this is my body given up to you. The one who would continue to feed the church for for giving us food for the journey that is not just to a chosen place on earth, but instead is to our chosen spot in heaven. Giving us food for the journey, instituting the sacramental life of the church, particularly in the Eucharist. 
See, Mary is not just a new kind of framing of an old thing. She's the fulfillment of the Ark of the Old Covenant. Now, all of that's nice and dandy, and it kind of has this correlation where we, we, we see where the Old Testament and the New Testament, they connect, and there's some symbolism that points, and it's, oh, that's really nice, Father. But what does this have to do with me? Well, Mary's entire life was ordered to being a God-bearer. Her entire life was ordered to revealing God's presence on earth. If she is the perfect example of what it means to be a Christian, shouldn't our life do the same? Shouldn't we look at her as an example and take that same mantle now upon us to be a witness, to be a God-bearer, to be one who reveals God's presence on earth at all times. It's a hard thing to do. And it's a struggle. And if we start today for the rest of our life, we may only be able to do it a little bit better. But that's the struggle of being a Christian. So in the same way, in those same three ways, Mary holds within herself the fulfillment of the authority of the priesthood. In the same way, we're called to be priest. Common priest, but being a priest. All a priest is is someone who mediates between God and man. All a priest is is somebody who stands as, as a mediator between God and man. And by virtue of our baptism, we've been adopted into that priestly class. By virtue of our baptism, we have the ability to stand as that mediator between God and man. How often in the last week, just think, have you talked to somebody who's struggling with something? And at the end of the conversation, you may have said or been tempted to say, I'll pray for you. That is an extremely priestly act where we get to stand before God appealing to Him on behalf of somebody else. This week, our, our state, we were, we were invited to do some prayer and some fasting during the course of the week on, on Monday, Tuesday, and Wednesday. Fasting on behalf of somebody else is something that is a, an extremely, extremely priestly act where I offer up a small sacrifice to God on behalf of another. Maybe this is the disposition that we need right now to be, one, be, be people who will be priestly in that we will offer sacrifice and pray on behalf of others before God. Now the prayer doesn't have to be anything major. Lord, bless that person. It's a simple prayer and powerful. The sacrifices, the sacrifices, the, the fasting, it doesn't have to be a meal like we did this week. The sacrifices could be smaller than that. It can be, you know what, today I'm not going to have that cup of coffee. Now everybody else around me might be sacrificing too, but I may not have that cup of coffee today. I may decide that I'm going to skip a meal, or I'm going to not eat my favorite thing, or I'm, gonna eat, I'm not going to eat meat today. Fasting could be from things like the snooze button, if you're like me and you're a champion at that. Fasting could be from things like Facebook. And quite honestly, at the end of it, you'll probably be a lot happier. 
But fasting could be from just comforts, things that we are attached to in this world. And if we offer it up for the sake of another, it's priestly. God bless this person, and every time I want to check my status, or look and see what that person posted, or try and I want to hit the snooze button again, God, I choose to offer up this inconvenience for the sake of that person. We can be priestly. This is how we bear God out to the rest of the world in a priestly way. In the same way, it's not just God, again, Mary holds within her the fulfillment of the entire moral law of all the things that we are to do and are not to do as a Christian. For us, we're called to live to a certain standard. To not be okay with sin. And when we do fall, to go to confession and to receive the graces that God has for us. In that way, we become a clearer vision, a clearer picture, a clearer sign pointing to the reality of God. And finally, today we come to receive in this Mass the Eucharist. And in the same way that we've, I've said it before and I'll say it again, in the same way that as we come to receive the Eucharist, as we come to have Jesus bodily within us, we are then sent out. That what we receive here is not just for us. That what we receive here is meant to compel and send us out to bear God into a world that is starving for Him. That literally, when we, after we receive communion, we walk out of this church having Jesus within us. In that way, the example of Mary compels us out. Think about it. She didn't, receive, she didn't receive the message from the angel at the Annunciation and just stay at home. She went out to serve her, her cousin. In the same way, we are sent out. We continue to be God-bearers to the world around us. We continue to reflect the presence of God in the world around us. And as a Christian, that is the complete, that is the mission summed up. Mary lived it perfectly, and we're called to live it as well. May today, as we leave today, as we leave this church, as we wake up tomorrow, as we live our life each and every day, we reflect the presence of God to the world around us. And in that way, see Mary as a perfect example.